Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Blaze Castle. We are returning to Northanger Abbey for today's topic. This scene appears near the end of Volume 1 in the novel, and Catherine is situated in Bath, having met Henry Tilney's sister Eleanor, the best character, and less fortunately, (laughs) Isabella's brother, John Thorpe, the worst character. (laughs) Catherine is waiting for the Tilneys to arrive so they can go on their planned walk, but Thorpe, Isabella, and Catherine's brother James all barge in with their plans to go on an outing near Bristol. Thorpe says they will likely travel as far as Blaze Castle, which really catches Catherine's attention. <laughs> so she hears that and then she just kind of stops everything. And here she, and here she goes, Blaze Castle, cried Catherine. What is that? The finest place in England. Worth going 50 miles at any time to see. What? Is it really a castle? An old castle? The oldest in the kingdom. But is it like what one reads of? Exactly. The very same. But now, really... Are there towers and long galleries? By the dozens. Then I should like to see it. Uh, But I cannot. I cannot go. And Thorpe's like, yeah, whatever whatever you say. It's exactly that. John Thorpe, just, he is a walking toilet plunger. (laughs) And that's all there is to say about him. Well, and so, so, I mean, like, he he lies to her about this. And then then he's he's like, yeah, whatever you say. And then he's like, oh, the Tilney's left on a walk without you. And so they actually do head out to Blaze Castle. Christine Alexander's article, The Prospect of Blaze, Landscape and Perception in Northanger Abbey, starts with this absolute gem. Catherine's passion for the hero of the novel is in grave danger of being eclipsed by her passion for ancient edifices. (laughs) And we definitely see that in the Blaze Castle scenes. She was supposed to go on a walk with the Tilneys, but Thorpe tells her they left without her. Liar! Mm -hmm. So she then comforts herself with the idea of the castle. So this is again from the novel, and this is Catherine thinking. To feel herself slighted by them, the Tilneys, was very painful. On the other hand, the delight of exploring an edifice like Udolpho, as her fancy represented Blaze Castle to be, was such a counterpoise of good as might console her for almost anything. The happiness of a progress through a long suite of lofty rooms, exhibiting the remains of magnificent furniture, though now for many years deserted, the happiness of being stopped in their way along narrow, winding vaults, by a low, grated door, or even of having their lamp, their only lamp, extinguished by a sudden gust of wind, and being left in total darkness. She's like, the t- tell me, like, that, that stings, but, you know, nothing can defeat an exploration of Udolpho, which Blaze Castle is apparently supposed to, in her brain, that's exactly the same thing. I love this because the absolute beauty of the Blaze Castle scenes is that without knowing a bit about the castle and its history, you might be missing a bit of, of Austin's cheek here. You you're, you kind of go along with what Catherine is thinking. Blaze Castle, which Austin spells with a Z, but is actually spelled with an S, was built in 1766. If Austin started writing Northanger Abbey in the mid-1790s, that means this old castle, or as Thorpe says, <laughs> oldest in the kingdom, is less than 30 years old when she's writing this. So this is new construction. <laughs> Just head on out to the office. You can still pick out your flooring and your, right. you know, your paint colors. Yes. Let's break down some of the important details about Blaze Castle. Yes. Okay. So Blaze, the Blaze Castle estate is approximately 18 miles away from Bath on the other side of Bristol. So when they're like, oh yeah, day trip to Blaze Castle, that's what they're talking about is, is 
18 miles in a carriage in the middle, in the starting midday. So that's, it's not going to happen, right? And so the estate, the Blaise Castle estate was purchased in 1762 by a man named Thomas Farr. He was a wealthy Bristol sugar merchant whose fortune was gained by the sugar trade and his investments in American plantations that relied on the labor of enslaved people. He bought 110 acres, which is about 45 hectares, if that helps give you some context, of land. And, and that included an old manor house, there was a farmhouse on it, and, and Blaze Hill, geographically speaking. And in 1766, he commissioned the London architect, Robert Milne, to design Blaze Castle, which is really just a folly on the land. It's not even a proper castle. And a folly is a costly, ornamental building with no practical purpose. They are often towers or mock ruins built in a large garden or park. I mean, if you're looking for a purpose, it would oftentimes be a place in the summer where, you know, maybe you'd go out there to take your tea or have a little picnic kind of situation. It was really, it was either something to look at in the distance while you're in another location, or if you were to go out there, it was really just, look at us, we're in nature in our fake ruins. (laughs) Having some shade for our picnic. Yeah, exactly. So Blaze Castle is just, it's just meant to be an aesthetic addition to the landscape. And that also allows people, you know, to climb up to the towers and see beautiful views of the estate and the surrounding area. So apparently, if you go up to the top of these towers in Blaze Castle, you can see the Avon River and the Severn from the towers. And even on a clear day, you can possibly see across the Severn all the way to South Wales. I mean, it's purely aesthetic, really. The structure is a central large circle with three smaller circular towers surrounding it. It is constructed in the Gothic style with crenellated parapets, which in terms of Catherine's expectations of a real castle is the only thing she'd get right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really, it's not big. So when, again, another Thorpe Lie, when she asks, are there towers and long galleries? He's like, by the dozens. This is not a huge yeah. castle. It's not a fortress. You know, you can go into it and there's places to sit and whatnot. But again, it's not like, oh, massive bedchambers. Yeah, there's and- not like long corridors. Like the corridors in general aren't existing in this thing. <laughs> Catherine is left with this imagined Blaze Castle that's just ancient, gloomy. It's she's living out the fantasy of Udolpho in her mind, but of course, she's mistaken. And Christine Alexander goes on to point out that Austin expects her readers to understand her reference to Blaze, and those who don't understand are, like Catherine, taken in and become part of the joke. Which I admit that was me for a long time. I, you know, I didn't know what Blaze Castle was, and so in my head, I was like. Sure, of course it's what Thorpe says. I should have known. As soon as Thorpe said it was something, I should have been like, okay, it's the exact opposite. Got it. If there's anyone you should never trust. (laughs) Alexander continues, It is likely, however, that the majority of Austin's educated readers at the time would have understood her reference to Blaze Castle. To begin with, they would have known that Blaze was not a real castle at all, but simply a modern folly built to satisfy the picturesque taste in landscape gardening. (laughs) I don't know. Everything about that phrase makes me laugh. The castle was open to the public, and it was a popular site during this time. The fact that he was like, oh, yeah, we can go there. That part is the only true thing right. that he says. <laughs> All of that being said, Thomas Farr was really into the idea of the Gothic and the sublime, which we talked about the sublime before in our episode on Mary Ann's Dead Leaves. And so he, you know, the owner of, of this, he's he liked to encourage fake local folklore around the tower that included, like, there was a lover's leap on one of the towers. He also potentially created a couple of grottos on the estate. One was called the Robber's Cave and one was the Butcher's Cave. The fact that he's making up fake history to this fake castle 
Well, what I'm hearing is that this guy was definitely full of it. And basically, he's John Thorpe. Yes. This guy is John Thorpe. <laughs> Another reason that a lot of Austin's peers would have been aware of the Blaze Castle was that Humphrey Repton, the biggest name in landscape gardening for the posh and elite of the day, undertook a commission to design the Blaze Castle estate. So Repton shows up by name in Mansfield Park when Rushworth is considering potential improvements at Southerton. And there's actually a massive amount of work out there dedicated to Repton's influence on this period and on Austin and Mansfield Park, especially in relation to his philosophies of, and I'm saying this with air quotes, moral landscapes. That was a concept that he had, as well as his concepts of the picturesque. So there's a lot of work out there that talks about Repton and Austin. And we're obviously not going to go into all of that today, but it is interesting to see those connections between Mansfield Park and Northanger Abbey, which are books that you don't necessarily see a lot of crossover in. So Thomas Farr sold the estate in 1778 to Denham Skeet, who opened the property to the public. In 1789, it was sold again to Bristol banker John Scandrett Harford. A few years into his ownership, Harford commissioned architect William Patey to design a new home built in the neoclassical style called Blaze Castle House. And around the same time in 1795, Harford asked Humphrey Repton to come over and help improve the grounds. Repton sketched out his ideas in a red book, which were his famous project books. And that particular one is actually still held by the City of Bristol Museum and Art Gallery, which allows us to see Repton's before and after sketches of the landscape around Blaze Castle. This is very much so in keeping with like if you watch HGTV, right? Like the before and after reveals. Repton has those. And that's, and that's a really kind of phenomenal thing to get to understand the transitions that he made on the estate. He came back to supervise these revisions in 1796. So he's, he's checking out how things are going at the estate. In the landscape specifically, he made a few suggestions about Blaise Castle itself, the folly. And this included things like, we should make one of the towers taller so that it breaks up the perfect symmetry of the folly. You know, we, we, we want asymmetrical things. <laughs> He wanted also to maintain a certain amount of the woods that were around the castle so that you felt like you were discovering it while you were walking around in the walkways that you just like come across this random ruined castle. This is what kind of his vision was. At the same time, Repton also advised cutting down several trees that created an avenue on the state. You should be thinking of the Fallen Avenue mm. in Mansell Park and somewhere Fanny Price is right. weeping. He advised cutting down those trees in order to make the new approach to the new house. Christine Alexander at least speculates that maybe this is the allusion to chopping down trees that sparks Fanny's poetic contemplations. Ugh, she feels it deep. And Repton's improvements for Blaze were completed in 1798. And so people were talking about it, like Repton's finished this big project. And what's funny is that it was a mildly controversial landscape design. Because people were annoyed that the approach to the house was kind of boring. They wanted this Blaise Castle estate to feel gothic. They wanted like the sweeping romantic landscape. They wanted wilderness and the sublime and they wanted the castle to be on display. And yet the estate approach is it's pretty direct up to this new build neoclassical estate. And so people were kind of annoyed at Repton's revision. And they're like, why did you do this? And his only defense was pretty much like, hey, that's not what my client wanted. Listen, I'm paid to do a job, right? okay? He went on to say, I expect the stranger will be agreeably surprised to find that on quitting this wood, 
He is not going to a moldering castle whose ruined turrets threaten destruction and revive the horrors of feudal strife, but to a mansion of elegance, cheerfulness, and hospitality, where comfort of neatness is blended with the rude features of nature without committing great violence on the genius of the place. I don't know, Repton. I think Catherine would disagree. <laughs> this is reminding me of that conversation between Edward and Marianne, where she's just like, oh, the twisted yes. trees. And he's kind of like, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Seeing things all neat and orderly, that's what right? I like. He's like, give me a line of trees. That's what's going to do it for me. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Blaze Castle, as Thorpe is representing it, and as Catherine is imagining it, it's a sham, which seems really bang on the money. It is absolutely bang on the money because Thorpe, as we have already established, is entirely composed of sham. He's a sham sandwich. <laughs> He's a shamwich. And now I cannot stop thinking of John Thorpe in a ShamWow commercial. <laughs> he is now, he is officially the spokesperson for ShamWow which I feel like is an insult to Shamwell. Right. I've never used their products, but I'm sure they're great. So <laughs> please don't come for me. But Thorpe lies about pretty much everything ever. And this adventure to the castle, which of course doesn't even happen, is where that becomes extremely apparent, even before they leave Bath. And Catherine realizes that he lied about the Tilneys, not planning to go on a walk with her because she sees them coming to get her. Right. So awkward. With Thorpe's persistent stream of nonsense, you know, I think for the reader, we can see that, well, I don't, I think something is something fishy, fishy is going exactly. on here. Ah, <laughs> uh, Blaze Castle, just another one of his lies. So with Catherine, thinking that this is a Udolfo-esque castle, this is really foreshadowing for her expectations of Northanger Abbey and the kind of disillusionment that she's going to have to go under there, you know, repeatedly. She's, she goes to Northanger Abbey. It's not a gothic, terrible place. It's a beautiful, orderly place. It's all this foreshadowing of all the things that Catherine is going to have to get disillusioned about and then actually kind of come back to reality with a thumb. Not only does she have just the heartbreak of seeing her beloved Henry <laughs> coming to pick her up for the walk and Thorpe's just like, we're just going to keep going. We're just going. He basically kidnaps he does. her. Yeah. I think that's also Austin doing that little bit of this is Catherine kind of getting to have her gothic heroine moment. <laughs> Instead of like a mustache twirling villain, she has Thor. Yeah. And instead of getting to go, at least to some moldering castle, so she gets to have that, they basically just make it as far as some town, you know, outside of Bath. And then her brother's like, well, I guess we need to turn around. Right. <laughs> Obviously, this is way too long of a trip. I don't know oh, what we were thinking. Gosh. Yeah. And even then, Thorpe is still just like, well, if your brother had better horses, we could have definitely made it. Because I drive so fast. <laughs> I've been having to pull back my horses this whole time. So poor Catherine, she doesn't get to go on her walk and she doesn't even get to see this castle, which even if she had gotten to see the castle, is not even a castle. Would have been a huge disappointment. The whole Blaze Castle episode, huge disappointment. Which is, again, mirrored by what you said about how when she finally arrives at Northanger Abbey and at least there she does get to actually go to this house that she's been dreaming of. But again, it's like, oh... I mean, it's basically what Repton has described, yes. right? It's just this nice, <laughs> orderly building. Yeah. There's no no stonework falling off or, you know, it's not all crumbling. There are very few oubliettes to be found. Yes. Very disheartening. <laughs> we feel like we need to apologize to all of our listeners for spending this time with John Thorpe, who is <laughs> the, the worst. worst. But thank you for coming with us on this journey. <laughs> Halfway to Blaze Castle. You can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. 
And we have this email to share from listener Yaffa in Jerusalem, who wrote in about our episode on Fordyce's sermons. Yaffa says, I wanted to put in my two cents on Lydia's interruption of Mr. Collins's reading. I think that Jane Austen might have been making the point that if young women have only two options of diversion, Fordyce or flirting with soldiers, <laughs> they're obviously going to choose the latter. Perhaps if Lydia had had a better education, then she wouldn't waste her time on frivolities and ultimately put herself at risk and bring scandal and near financial ruin on the family. And it makes a lot of sense that Lydia would prefer flirting over Fordyce. You know, I understand that, especially when she's had zero encouragement to develop any other kind of pursuits. You know that the Bennets have wide access to books, and Elizabeth even tells Lady Catherine that they were encouraged to read. But she also says that, um, and this is a quote from the book, those who chose to be idle certainly might. And, and Lydia, gave, given both her age and her natural proclivities, might be someone who struggles with an entirely self-directed form of education, right? Yeah, we know from that same conversation between Lizzie and Lady Catherine that the Bennet sisters have never had a governess. And as neither Bennet parent seems likely to have taken a strong interest in really directly guiding the education of the sisters. Again, I'm sure Papa Bennet's kind of like, here are the right. books, you know. They were kind of on their own. Plus, their own mother seems to think that husband hunting is the only interest of right. any merit yeah. anyway. So obviously the soldiers, right? That makes sense. You know, even with a governess, a lot of the education still would have been around making yourself a desirable catch for a prospective spouse. Anyway, lots more to say about women's education at this time, but that is certainly best saved for a future episode. But I just love these thoughts from Yaffa and wanted to share them because I think that's a really, a really good point. If your choice is having some fun or four dice of all things, <laughs> Colin's really not doing any favors to his own cause. Right. right. And stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll be talking about Captain Bennock's miniature with guest Emma Rutherford. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.